You're listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcba.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Well, good morning, church. If you would, please open your Bibles to me in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, as we continue our series through the book of Acts, in a series that we're calling Gospel Shorts, The Real Gospel in the Reels of Acts. So I want to remind you that our content team has put together a devotional that walks right alongside the sermon. And if you're interested in that, as you continue to follow Jesus' week, text the word sermon to 45776. Speaking of teams, we're so incredibly proud of our media teams, our, our comm teams, all of our support ministry teams, our Next Steps teams. Wow, incredible, incredible job. Uh, absolutely amazed by God's grace. Uh, also, how about, hey, choir, orchestra, praise team this morning. Thank you to the Lord. So incredibly proud of our spiritual development teams as well as, as we've got people meeting all over our campus, next-gen teams, just incredibly, humbly grateful to the Lord as your pastor. And I'm proud of you, church. I mean, you look absolutely incredible. Thank you for your prayerfulness and your flexibility, your expectancy that you brought from this. In fact, some of you this morning, you've never looked better. In fact, it's the first time some of you have been in a gym in a long, long time. You're looking good, all right? Looking good. And guys, there are so many things that God is doing here. And I just want to encourage you, don't miss any of it, all right? Obviously, we're in a physical transition. Obviously, there's a ministry transition. But guys, there's something greater that God is doing in and through us. There's a spiritual transition that God is wanting all of us to embrace. Don't run from that this morning. Run to that. That's exactly what I'm going to talk to you about this morning in Acts chapter 18. We're going to be amazed this morning at the determination and the devotion of the Apostle Paul. You know, we're always kind of like that. There seems to be this motivation of someone who goes the extra mile that then inspires us to do the same thing. In fact, I heard of a story this week of the greatest pizza delivery man of all time. You heard of this guy? No, it's not this guy, but it's symbolic of this guy. There was a man who on August the 20th, 2022, gave a pizza to a guy who had ordered it on Mount Fuji in Japan. The delivery man traveled to deliver this pizza. You ready for this? Five hours and 48 minutes one way. He transversed almost 3,700 meters high on Mount Fuji to get this man his pizza. Now, some of you may say, well, I mean, it's that. It was some sort of special kind of pizza. I don't know about you. I'm just grateful in trying to get our Domino's here in BA to deliver to my house three miles away, all right? Now, I realize that, that there are, has anyone tried the bacon, chicken, Alfredo, pizza at Domino's, it will change your life. Absolutely incredible. But uh, I don't know if anyone's ever surpassed this delivery man right here. Five hours, 48 minutes, 3,700 meters. You say, well, maybe it was a special kind of pizza. No, it was literally $27.80 worth of pizza. He didn't even get a tip when he delivered this pizza, all right? An absolutely incredible determination, devotion. Sometimes we just need pizza, right? A lot of that is what's going on in Acts chapter 18. For the Apostle Paul, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. See, previously in Acts chapter 16 and 17, Paul and his companions had faithfully established multiplying Christ-centered churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Paul's address to the Athenians 
at the Areopagus, Mars Hill, in Acts chapter 17, is arguably one of the greatest Stoic masterpieces in the entire New Testament. However, by the time Paul gets to Corinth in Acts chapter 18, he's been run out of six different places, stoned, jailed, tired, weary, and alone. A despondent Paul leaves Athens, travels 50 miles west to Corinth. Now, many of you, Corinth is just a small, significant town now from antiquity. But at the time of Acts chapter 18, it was a thriving, prosperous, strategically located metropolis. Corinth was a seaport town. It was one of the largest cosmopolitan centers of trade in all of Greece. If Athens was the philosophical center of the world and glorified the mind, then Corinth was the immoral center of the universe that glorified the body. You see, Corinth had one of the largest temples to Apollo, the Greek goddess of sexual activity in all of antiquity. It housed a thousand priestesses who would, as ritual prostitutes, would come down every single evening down to the streets of Corinth and plied their trade. Corinth then, at the time of Acts chapter 18, was synonymous with moral depravity. In fact, there was this classic idiom in antiquity of Corinth that said, are you behaving like a Corinthian? That is exactly what is going on here in Paul's ministry. But Paul would be determined to share the gospel. Paul would be devoted to the word of God. And the Lord would have a mighty increase for the kingdom in this specific region. So even though Corinth's diverse population brought a tremendous challenge to Paul, it was the most populated, the most wealthy, the most commercially minded, sex-obsessed city in all of Eastern Europe, God would have a mighty work there. God honors devotion. God honors determination. God can magnify his gospel in any situation. And that's what I want to learn from Acts chapter 18 together with you this morning. That Jesus in us is greater than whatever is in front of us. Why don't we study in depthly then this morning. Acts chapter 18, verses 2 through 11. Now, while in Corinth, Paul finds some amazing friends in ministry. A couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla who began to assist Paul in his ministry to the Corinthians as they work in and for Jesus. Let's meet them in verses two through four, and your Bible says this. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently who came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let's stop right there. Paul was not only a renowned theologian and philosopher. He also supported himself vocationally by working as a tent maker. Or in verse 3, one who specifically worked with leather. You see, Corinth hosted the Isthmian Games. It's very comparable to our modern day Olympic Games. And as a qualification to host these games, the city of Corinth was required to provide tents for all participants. So those who would come from out the region to visit Corinth, you had to have a tent to reside. And so Priscilla and Aquila were kicked out of Rome because of their allegiance to Jesus. They had set up a a very profitable, apparently, company that, that ministered to those in making tents. And so Paul, leaving Athens, traveling two days' journey, 50 miles west to Corinth, having this vocation, this thing that he began to purposefully do, he notices Priscilla and Aquila. They meet up. 
They begin to work and use their gifts together. In fact, this couple is mentioned seven other times in the New Testament. You, you want to know what it's like as a couple to work for the Lord? See these two. In fact, some biblical commentators have stated that it is arguably this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, that are the most devoted to Jesus in the entire New Testament. They're almost always together. They're always supporting ministry. They're always using their gifts and talents to bless others for Jesus. You want a dynamic marriage? You want to live in a relationship that counts? See this couple. And so in a low time in Paul's ministry, in a hard time of life, God was at work. God was moving and working within the heart of Paul. As he expanded God's ministry in the second missionary journey, he leads him to Corinth and he finds two godly friends, we'll talk more about this in a minute, who were working and God used their gifts to bless so many. You see, God is already working where he has called you to do his work. That God is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. What are your passions in life? What are your passions? Things that God has put on your heart. God will use those things. And he asks of you one step of obedience. And in you and being obedient to his work, you will then follow a road that God has already paved for you. For God is already at work where he has called you to do his work. In fact, recently, and we've heard about a couple in our church, Michael and Delilah Gift, where God has done just that. Look to the screens and let's see his story. So my name is Michael Gift, and this is my wife, Delilah Gift. Uh, we've both been going to this church since 2007, uh, but we didn't actually meet in this church until 2014. When the COVID started, my, my cousin passed away because of COVID. So that's the time I reached out to my siblings to, to share the word of God. But because of, you know, the phone, the Facebook, Sometimes it was too loud or too noisy. They won't be able to hear me or I won't be able to hear them. So we pray about it because I told Michael that I really want to see my family. I really want to share the gospel. I really want them to know exactly what's the truth. And, and then Michael decided, you know what, just go. But this is going to be your trip. It's like a mission trip for your family. I said, okay. So I went and I studied because I want to share the gospel to my family in, in our own language. And so I studied and I have, you know, pages of presentation. So I have been praying. I've been praying and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to guide me, whatever comes out from my mouth, it's from Him. Because I said, because when I started probably sharing, and I got like mental black, and I was like, and I want you, God, to, to speak for me. So when I went there, the first person, it was an unplanned, because I want, on my list, it started from the oldest, but it was backward. It started to the youngest. So that was unplanned, and she's the first one who accepted Jesus. So both of us were like crying, and I hugged her, and then I connected her to the church over there, and then until now, she's doing a Bible study. After her sister 
accepted Christ, she calls me up kind of disappointed that she didn't get to go through the scriptures and all these things that she had studied. And I'm like, you know, God will tell, have you, God will have you say what needs to be said. You don't have to have what we think needs to be said because you don't know their heart. And then, I, and then after that, I went to my oldest, and then my oldest brother and, and his wife, and then they have a neighbor who came and also accepted Jesus. And from there, I went to my, other, my, my sister. It's like the whole eight days I've been going to different houses, to different siblings of mine, and they're all accepted Jesus. And then after I finished my siblings, my list, I went to a friend, to our previous neighbor, and then the old 20 years I didn't see, and I shared the gospel and accepted the total of 17 people who accepted Jesus. The trip that I can say to the Philippines, it was amazing. God works. He listened, and because I think that's why He brought me in this country to me get prepared so I can share the good news to my family, not only to my family, but to uh, friends of mine. So I hope next year I can do the same thing and be more people to be safe, get saved. <laughs> yeah. Amen. How incredibly awesome is that? God's working and God is at work in and through you. God has preparing you for what he has prepared for you. So there's a reason why you have the education you have. There's a, a reason why you have these passions, this intentionality that you have these neighbors and classmates and jobs and all of these things. And God wants us to be faithful. Who is it this week that God's saying be faithful to? What is it this week that God's saying I need a next step of obedience? His ways are perfect. His ways aren't always our ways. God is able. Are we willing? What is it this week that God's saying trust me with? as you continue to follow him. God is already working where he has called you to do his work. That's exactly what is going on at Corinth. Paul is in a low time of ministry. Paul is in a hard time of life. But yet as he leaves Athens, or hardly anybody believes at all, despite his presentation, he finds at Corinth this amazing couple, Aquila and Priscilla, these incredible followers of Christ. And as they love Jesus, they begin to love one another. And this fellowship turns into fellowship. It empowers this movement of God. And so in verse four, Paul, a monotheistic Jew, miraculously saved by the resurrected Christ, begins his ministry like he always has in these towns. He goes to a synagogue and he begins engaging in a gospel-centered dialogue with both Greeks and Jews. Look at verses five through 11. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And look at verses nine and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. 
And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul, weary, hurting, discouraged, chose not to be occupied by those things, even though they were very real to him. No, he chose a zealous focus on what matters most, on what is eternal, on the things that are not in front of him, but are the things that are above him. He chose to be occupied, in verse 5, with the word of God. You see, what occupies our life defines us. What you focus on, you gravitate toward. What you consume, consumes you. And so though Paul had very real frustrations, though Paul had very real hardship, he chose to focus on Jesus. He chose to focus not on the what of his circumstances, but on the who in his circumstances. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. A Christ follower is to be primarily, uncompromisingly, wholeheartedly, and ongoingly swallowed up, consumed by one thing, pleasing and following the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, with all eagerness, devoted himself to the Word and Christ, even though overwhelmingly nothing is really going to plan in Paul's second missionary journey. In fact, you remember in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40, Paul's work at Philippi? Yes, Lydia and her entire household accepted Christ. Praise God. A Philippian jailer and his entire household praised the Lord. But arguably, Paul's ministry in Philippi was mixed with mixed results. In fact, remember the citizens turned on him, so much so they needed to flee out of the city. Remember in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15, Paul comes to Berea and shares the gospel there. And there's this, this explosion of life change, which is awesome. Most people didn't like that. You see, when you accept Jesus, everything in you has to change. And change is hard. And so, according to Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15, there were citizens from Thessalonica, Jews who chased him out by night, threw him out. Paul shares his heart in this masterful dialogue with the tribunal at the Areopagus in Mars Hill. He's in Athens, the philosophical center of the universe. His dialogue and discourse is literally one of the greatest stoic masterpieces of all of literature. And according to Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34, only a handful of people believe. Nevertheless, Paul is determined. Nevertheless, Paul is emboldened to devote himself to the ministry of the word of God. And we must do the same. We can learn much from this great theologian, much from this great follower of Christ. When life falls or when life fills our life with junk, we must fill our lives with Jesus. We must be intentional about staying focused. When we begin to sense that we're becoming overwhelmed by something of our lives, we've got to remind ourselves of someone greater in our lives. We've got to choose a zealous focus and determination to continually following Jesus. And when you give your life completely to God, God abundantly gives back to you, indescribably gives back to you. You say, well, what did he give Paul in Corinth in Acts chapter 18? Friends, you see Paul in his resolved and faithful devotion to God. Are you ready for this? He found that God was even more faithfully devoted to him. God gave Paul what he needed most. He gives him lifelong friends in Aquila and Priscilla. They begin this beautiful fellowship in working out the gifts God had given them to grow God's kingdom in verse two. Additionally, the Bible says in verse five that 
Paul was receiving his old friends, Silas and Timothy, for they arrived from Macedonia. Their presence and financial blessing and ministry of encouragement was an absolute blessing to Paul. We need the same. You see, we can learn much from the theologian Paul. We can learn much from the theologians Jake and Elwood Blue. Everybody needs somebody, right? And God knows that. God knows when you need somebody. Who is it that God's placed in your life right now? That God is calling you to be a friend to. Did you realize from Genesis to Revelation that the Bible places an impetus on togetherness? We were made for each other. Thus, we were made for one another. That as you and I made in the image of God, who's by nature communal, as we continue to follow Christ, as we continue to worship God above all things, it will naturally not draw us apart, but draw us together. That is why the Bible stresses togetherness, because fellowship strengthens fellowship. It is friends that help us become more for Christ, not less. It is friends that embolden us to take a step for Christ. It is friends that encourage us to be everything that Christ calls us to be. Friends multiply joy in your life and they divide any sorrow because as they love Christ, they'll love you. And if you've got Jesus and friends, you can get through almost anything in life. We had a church member this week that, that just had this infection just overwhelm our body, overwhelmingly and suddenly. It's very scary. It's very humbling. You kind of wake up one morning, whoa, something's going on here. And, and so she was in the hospital and she went to one hospital and immediately the doctors began to assess her and say, you know what, this is a specific type of infection. I've been, in doctors, I've been a doctor for over 20 years. There is one doctor in Tulsa that can treat this. So the doctor was humble enough to say, you need to go to this hospital now. And so by the time I got there on Thursday, she was seeing much progress and praise the Lord for our doctors here and technology and humility. All of those are secondary to God's divine providence, God's divine governorship of our life. And so as I'm encouraging this patient church member and she's encouraging me, there was another church member that walked through the door and she had sonic milkshakes for everyone in the room. And I turned around and said, what are you doing here? And she says, I'm here to be with and bless my friend. And I was leaving this place, I was the one that was blessed. I was the one that was encouraged. So many of you faithfully for years have been doing that. So many of you faithfully for decades, you've been honoring the divine definition of friendship and God has done much in and through your faithfulness. Who is it this week that needs a milkshake for Jesus? Who is it this week that needs that phone call, that text? God's put them on your heart for a reason. Tell them. Just thinking about you today. You know, you remember that one? Yeah, I just smiled. I praise God for you. I just want you to know that. Who is it this week that needs that meal? Needs to be reminded, hey, are you focusing on what matters most? I know you're frustrated. I know this is hard, but this is just a season. Our God is eternal. And we'll get through this together. Do you see how that perspective changes everything? Do you see how God can bless the intentionality of one to have an impact on so many? Paul is at a low transition time in his ministry. God gives him, just like he'll give you, what you need most. He gives him lifelong friends, Priscilla, Aquila. He gives him renowned former friends and Silas and Timothy it emboldens Paul, according to verse six. 
So much so that he's, as he begins this gospel dialogue in the synagogue, they resist, they blaspheme, they even reject Paul's gospel. But Paul is determined. He has a renewed zealousness of life. He quotes Ezekiel specifically. And hey, when someone's quoting an Old Testament prophet, look out, right? And he essentially tells these Jews and Greeks, I'm done with you. I'm going now to the Gentiles. And in God's sense of humor, he goes right next door in verse seven. Oftentimes, your next great kingdom assignment is right next to you. It's not something far off, ethereal. No, God is just saying, I want you to be obedient to what's next. Even if it's right next to you, just take that step of faith. I remember when I was a kid, this isn't always the easiest thing. I was four or five years old, and, and it, it's funny, I don't know about in your household, but in my household, bedtime is kind of a fluid time. It, it seems like a fixed time to Brent and I, but to our kids, it's just kind of open to translation. Get ready for bed, brush your teeth, floss your teeth, go to bed. Takes a while, right? Often anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. And you know, tragically, I think our kids got this from me. And so I remember when I was four or five, I was, I was playing with some of my Star Wars toys and G.I. Joes. I was having kind of this, you know, galactic battle in my room. And my parents said, hey, Maddie, time to go to bed. And I didn't think that was a very good idea at all. I mean, couldn't they see I was busy? I was doing stuff. And so finally, my parents come in and say, Maddie, put this stuff up. Son, we obey the first time in our household. Not the second time, not the third time, the first time. And uh, I couldn't remember which parent, but one of my parents, they took my TIE fighter away from me. At like the most pivotal moment in the battle, not good. So I don't know about you, but I thought this was egregious. I, I thought this was absolutely reprehensible. And so I let them know about it when I was four years old. And so they obviously, as my parents didn't receive that very well, I think my dad even reminded me, Matt, I am your father, right? Okay? Star Wars joke, about half of you got it. It's okay, it's good. And so as I began to respond in this dialogue, they could tell the force was strong with this one. So I notified my parents, if this is the way that we're gonna rule in this house, I'm moving out. So I gather up all my toys and necessities. I think I grabbed my teddy bear. I bid my fair biddings to my parents and I walked right out. Now, in talking to my parents last night to verify this story, they actually reminded me that they helped me pack. I don't know if I'm encouraged by that. <laughs> We're discouraged by that. But as I said goodbye and left, I got to the edge of the driveway and remembered that my neighbor had the biggest German shepherd in all of central Oklahoma. And as I looked at that feigned beast, it began to bark. I began to kind of recall, I don't know if this was really the best decision or not. And so I sat right there on the driveway for what seemed like hours, but it was really probably a handful of minutes. My parents, who were you know, looking by the curtains, at the right time, my dad came out. Maddie, what are you doing out here? Well, I've moved out, if you haven't heard. <laughs> not coming back. No matter what you say or do, not coming back. Well, son, you know, your mom and I, we think that may be a good idea. But you know what? Son, we've talked about it. We'd love for you to move back. We'd love for you to come back into our home. But Maddie, before you do, you need to realize this. This is God's house, son. You're a part of our home. And he's entrusted you to us. And our primary goal is not your happiness, but your holiness. 
So son, there's gonna be many good times. There's gonna be a lot of in between, but we'll get this through together because you're a part of your home. In fact, I just talked to your mama and if you come home right now, we'll go to Brahms and that sealed the deal for me. Oftentimes, the next great adventure, your next kingdom journey is right next door. It's the next step that God wants. You keep your eyes on him. You stay focused on him. You stay diligent and devoted to him. And you will be amazed what God will do through social obedience. In the midst of this, Paul is at a crossroads at Corinth. From his previous experience, he's been kicked out of the last six towns he's been in. Stoned, jailed, beaten to death almost. He knows what's coming. He needs encouragement. And so Jesus comes to him in verses nine through 10. The Lord Jesus himself personally encourages him. Look at verses nine and 10 real quick. He tells them, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Paul you keep preaching the gospel. Why, Lord? Verse 10, for I am with you, that's why. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. You see, Paul, like so many of us, he was worried about things, are you ready for this, that weren't real. He was worried about contingencies based upon his past, based upon his previous experiences. We have a God who's above those things. He's a God. We have a God who is high and supreme. He's the king of the universe. So though there are some things that we will never forget, there is nothing in Christ you can't get through. And just as Paul was personally ministered by Jesus, did you realize five more times in the book of Acts, Paul comes to Christ just like, or, or Christ comes to Paul just like this. He comes to you. He promises to never leave nor forsake you. And he says, whatever it is, I'm asking you. Whatever it is that's right before you, whatever it is you're going through, do not be afraid. Because I am with you. I don't know about you, but my blood pressure just goes down with that truth. I mean, whatever is enormous, whatever monster just doesn't seem to go away, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Nothing. No harm will come to you. Can't you see now why Jesus in us is greater than whatever is in front of us? You see, though we worry and we will, we shouldn't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because we know we're divinely loved today. We know he who is greater than you that is in the world is in you and with you today. That we have Emmanuel, Matthew 1, 23. The Lord, your God is with us. Nothing ever happens to us then that is outside of God's providence and his loving care. Nothing. It is this great reminder that you and I faithfully trust God above all things. He will always be with you. Jesus always being with us is one of his greatest promises to us. And so as our king is greatly encouraging one of his followers in Paul, he gives him a means of forecast. Paul, get up. Get out. Do not stop sharing. Why? Because there are many in this city who are my own. 
Jesus, as a display of his foreknowledge, encourages Paul to boldly share the gospel because there will be many in Corinth who will faithfully accept him. And can I tell you, this is our encouragement. We're in a transition. There's a lot going on in our church. Millions of things God's doing. Most of you know of about three of them, all right? You need to stay focused and devoted on what God has called us to do. All of us have benefited from the generations of faith before us. Many of you were 25 years ago in this same situation of transition in your life, physically, ministry, spiritually. And you stepped out on faith and you wrote verses in our worship center and you gave when it didn't make sense and you made choices and sacrifices when the whole world was saying, what are you doing? God said, this is what I have for you. Take this next step of faith. And you did it by God's grace. And Christ worked mightily in us. And look at all that God has done. Can I tell you, this is exactly where we are as a church. That there are many thousands of people in Tulsa that are God's. They just haven't heard Jesus yet. They just haven't faithfully accepted the gospel yet. And you and I now have an opportunity to share and show this gospel to them. To be diligently focused and devoted to what matters most. Because there are many in this city who are God's people. They just need to meet Jesus first. It is this beautiful tension that Paul is emboldened in ministry. He preserves. He chooses faith day by day. Empowered by the Spirit, filled with the assurance of Christ, Paul, according to verse 11, stays in Corinth another 18 months, 540 days, 12,960 hours. What about you? I mean, what is it that God is saying, take this next step? What situation or circumstance, what conversation, what engagement in your life is God saying, persevere, choose faith, choose to be bold, choose Jesus. See, perseverance is the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered action when nothing else makes sense. The world says, you're gonna do what? Your coworkers and classmates, you're, you're choosing who? You're choosing to follow Christ? You're choosing to trust Christ? You're choosing to build his kingdom? Yep. I'm gonna persevere. I'm gonna remain devoted to the thing that matters most. And God is gonna get the glory. And can I tell you that that's where we're best as a church when all of us are actively engaging in building God's kingdom. When all of us are focused on one king at one time for one purpose. It takes the whole body of Christ to take the gospel to the entire world. So as we continue to walk through this book together, may it be the foundation for our lives. As we continue to champion kingship over all aspects of our fellowship, may we lovingly encourage one another. May we hold each other accountable. May we be friends and love one another as Christ has loved us. May we be faithful to bring milkshakes and tacos and barbecue and all of these wonderful things that God uses as a means to facilitate real conversations, fellowship that fuels fellowship. What is he asking you to do this morning? Take that next step. What is he calling you to preserve in? Choose boldness. Choose faithfulness. Who is it this week that he's asking you to encourage? May God, by his grace, empower these things. You see, the grace of God 
does not relieve us of our responsibility to be devoted to God. But it's the grace of God that makes it possible for us to stay devoted to him. It is this God who has abundantly blessed us that will provide an immeasurable grace to us that you and I live for him each and every day. It is this God that has graciously given us in working in and through us where he has already called us to work for his glory. Jesus in us is greater than whatever is in front of us. So may God fill our hearts, renew our minds, move our feet for his glory as we continue to follow him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and always remember, you are loved.